We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Second and five, Flacco back, looks middle and jump the wide open. 20, 15, corner, 10, 5, touchdown, he's got two. Third down and one from the 15, he wants the ball. He's got it on third and one, he's throwing deep. Greg Newsom's back there and he picked it off. He's got it at the 50-yard line. They went for Ridley. That's their number zero and our number zero beat them. On fourth down and three, play clock is at five. I don't know if they're going to snap it. Play clock is at two, and they do. He rolls right. He throws the middle. It's wide open. Down at the 25, at the 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. It's David Bell. Oh, my goodness. They forgot to cover David Bell. Blacko underneath center. And on third down, he'll take a knee, and that's going to do it. Oh, Joe Flacco. Oh, Joe Flacco. You beat us so many times as a Raven and once as a Jet, but today you are a Cleveland Brown. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. It is your Tuesday edition of the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. It's December 12th. Hopefully your Christmas month is going well. The Browns putting together a football win over the Jacksonville Jaguars certainly helped the mood around this podcast, around the team. Andrew and I have talked about how it's been a little bit, you know, the the attention is waning. The ticket prices were down. I, I think it was a weird lull, Andrew, where I think the injury stuff and a couple losses in a row have put people in a, in a bit of a damper. But the Browns did what they do, 6-1 and one at home, pull out a huge win, put their playoff chances from 55% into the 80% range. Everything right in front of them, buddy. What's up, Andrew? How are you? We're pumped about this win, right? Totally. Yeah, we talked – last night on the post game show about the playoff picture where it sits six different AFC teams sitting at uh, seven and six. The Browns are a game ahead of all of them at eight and five. So they're, they're a, a leg up right now. And so you, you combine that with what seems to be happening on offense, some, some positive signs of growth there. Uh, you maybe getting some guys back on defense, although we'll talk about that. There's a lot of nuance there. Um, it just it feels like they are poised here to really make a stretch run and you you hope that's the case because the, the injury thing is obviously enough to derail anybody's season but they've come so far that you really want to see them finish it off so i hope that they're able to take this this advantage and kind of keep progressing because as as you mentioned the bears are playing pretty good football so 
it's not there's no there's no games off between here and the end of the season. There's maybe games that you think they've got a better shot in, but none of these are going to be freebies. For sure. And I think we have to kind of remember anytime the Browns give you something positive, they're always going to give you a couple little negatives too, right? So we found out today in just an out of nowhere drop, this seems to be the way these end of season injuries go for us around here this year that Dewan Jones is out, which is a real kick in the stomach because we watched two pretty bad performances from the offensive tackles yesterday, Andrew. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Dewan having such a promising rookie season, having fought back from some injuries mid-season, and then to ultimately put himself in a place to finish the year strong at right tackle, to have that happen at practice. We talk about this all the time. You know, game injuries suck. Practice injuries are the worst, Mm -hmm. the worst. And you hear Stefanski confirm he has to have season-ending surgery, so there is no hope here of anything IR, come back for the playoffs. It's a, it's a kick in the stomach, and and I guess it's, you know, roll your sleeves up, and Jerron Christian is going to go, and James Hudson's going to go, and you just have to hope that they're able to alleviate some of the stuff with scheme and you know, cross their fingers that they get good results, man. I mean, I, I again, I don't think they played very well, but I also didn't think Josh Allen or Trevon Walker, who are a pretty nice young duo, Andrew, really ruined that game either. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think pass protection has continued to be where Ron Christian especially has been better. Uh, his run blocking is not... <laughs> the feet are bad. They're just Yeah, bad. It, it's not NFL level stuff to be to be perfectly honest um but yeah they they had some success about uh, through through the past game i think flacco was quite decisive at times maybe a little hurried to get the ball out but it worked Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of avoiding sacks other than obviously the forced fumble so yeah it's not it hasn't been a, a disaster yet it hasn't been a uh, week 17 against the Steelers two years ago when James Hudson got roasted by TJ Watt. That hasn't happened, right? But it does feel like the tightrope is getting narrower and narrower and or higher from the ground or whatever metaphor you want to use here to say that the, you know, the trick of keeping this thing floating with not backup tackles. We're not talking about backup tackles. We're talking about, I was thinking about this when I was, when I heard the news, so you, obviously you lose Jack Conklin week one. They also signed in the, somewhere in there. They signed Ty and Secchi, right? And he's mm-hmm. done for the year. So mm-hmm. so that's another backup that that was a, a ahead of Garon Christian was ahead of probably would have would been playing ahead of James Hudson at this point. So that's two. Obviously Wills is on IR. Might come back. We don't know. It's it's a knee scope. You never know how these those things progress. So they're they're missing three tackles now uh, with season-ending injuries, and then a fourth tackle currently is on IR. All four of those guys would be playing ahead of the guys that are going to be playing next Sunday. That's the that's the so so we're into the third string on both sides of of the the line with the tackles. As far as what they do, Jake, um, I, I was looking at the practice squad. They've got two practice squad players that have NFL experience. Uh, everybody knows Alex Leatherwood is on the practice squad. Has he made enough practice uh, progress rather through the year that they would consider calling him up? The other name that I'm not as familiar with, Justin Murray, 
is uh, also on the practice squad out of Cincinnati as well. Uh, he's been in the league since uh, he, he first caught on with the Broncos as a UDFA in 2016. And he played uh, 12 games at right tackle for the Cardinals in 2019. So he has played NFL games. Both of those guys on the practice squad, do they make a move with one of those guys? They've got Leroy Hudson, who's on the active roster but has not yet started a game. Or do they stick with Christian and Hudson and then hope that Wills comes back? It's a great, it's a great it's situation. A mess. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. We heard from today, Joey Fisher is a name the Browns are bringing over to the practice squad from Brad Stainbrook, because Shepherd College UDFA was with San Francisco as a free agent, uh, has been around. I think he's been with Pittsburgh a little bit. So just another name to know. He's more of an interior player, but certainly another name to know. Obviously, Jed on IR. We didn't get an update. We don't know where he's at. So, <laughs> yeah, man, I, I I really don't know what the answer is to this situation. Obviously, they're going to start where they start, and they were bringing in uh, Leroy Watson for the the big. They're still still trotting those guys out there for the for the heavy packages. They're not afraid to use those guys when they need to. But you're talking, you know, you're on thin ice now. You're on the thinnest thinnest device here at tackle we're getting in dangerous dangerous territory it kind of, it kind we're talking of about like... quarterbacks that they've started four quarterbacks mm-hmm. talking about tackles like y- your point there about being to the third guy on each side is pretty bananas andrew yeah this it's beyond thin ice jake this feels like when wiley coyote is running out over a cliff and he he's still running yeah. but he ha- hasn't realized he's over air and yeah. so uh, can't fall due to cartoon physics. That's where the Browns are with the tackle situation, which isn't to say that they're doomed. It's just to say that the ice doesn't exist. I mean, there's no, the margin for error is they're well past it. It's they're in the I, air. There's not yeah, even a margin. Exactly. Like, right. What it's, you're trying to do, it is a caricature. What you're trying to do is just make sense of it. And I think that this is a good point that was brought up by some folks. We, we talked about it on our show of just either like, are you living more in the moment of just appreciating the stuff that they're finding a way to do here? Or do you find yourself questioning where they would be or like dreaming about where they would be if they even had 50% better health than what they've dealt with. Right. Cause I think that's a fair thing to think about. And then, you know, some folks hit us up on Twitter and said some cool things. I don't, I don't remember who exactly it was, but kind of along the lines of like, stop trying to make sense of all of this and just enjoy it in the randomness of the yep. NFL Yep. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're not trying to have two heavy conversations about like, where does this go long-term and what changes? They need. It's just like, Hey man, they're going to play Leroy Hudson or Leroy Watson a little bit. And yeah, you know, maybe it'll work out. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. They seem, but they're finding like, I think Andrew, when we take a step back from the, we're in the thick of the season. Whereas we are blinded by the win loss desire that our hearts want. But when we take a step back from this season and start to do some reviews, I think we're going to get the full picture of like, I can't believe they did this shit. And the story's not written. They still need to get to the playoffs. They still need to win two, three more games potentially here. But like, there's just some like what stuff going on here Yeah, that they're, they're figuring this out They're They're three and one against division leaders that they've mm-hmm. played this year. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm watching the 49ers just steamrolling people and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, the Browns beat them. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I again I don't want to think too hard about it because if you think too hard about it, you can get to all these places that say they're gonna lose the next four. Yeah. And that's in the realm of possibility, whatever, whatever. But like that's not fun. That's not what we should be doing. We should be just enjoying what's happening here. The thing I do yeah. want to shift to talk about with you real quick is 
if Jed comes back in the next two weeks or so, what's your immediate reaction? Should they just dump him back to left tackle and have Jerron be the backup, have Dewan play, or sorry, uh, too soon, have James Hudson play <laughs> on the right side? Or do you think having Jed maybe step in and try to play the right tackle spot, which his whole life has been up until the NFL is worth a shot. I'm just kind of interested in where you're like, you know, that that kind of be the way I'd go. Is there, a, is there a way you'd go with that? Oh, yeah. I think Jed is the left tackle. No okay. question. I don't, we can have a different conversation in the off season about the long term, but when he's available, he's the best left tackle that they've got. So you plug him in there. I don't, feel great about Hudson at right tackle. I'll, I feel like James about James Hudson at tackle as I do about PJ Walker quarterback is I think the way to say it. Like that's probably fair. Have him around. Seems like a great guy. Tough as hell. Good competitor. Plays, plays, plays hard. really hard. Gives you a hundred percent effort. Sometimes gets a little too excited, but I don't know that you want to be starting him. I don't think you want to have him as like, that's the guy you got the game plan for. So I'm curious if they can find another option either internally or, I mean, it, it won't be externally. They've got, they've got other options internally, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think I'd rather see them experiment with something there than giving Hudson the start next week. The Jones thing obviously really cropped up last minute this week. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that forced their hand, but I'm curious with, with prep, how they adjust the roster tomorrow going into, into practice on Wednesday. Cause yeah, Jake, I agree with you. We've got to take this game at a time. The next game up is the Chicago Bears, and they have a pretty good front, especially after they added Montez Sweat. So yep. the, the tackles are, you know, as bad as Jacksonville was, this is also going to be quite a challenge. So I was looking at uh, Deron Christian's history of snaps, alignments. Um, in 2020, he played one game at right – 2021, excuse me, he played 28 snaps at right tackle in week one and then played 560 at left tackle the rest of the season. 22, he didn't really play a whole lot for anybody. And then uh, obviously this year it's all been at left tackle. And then in 2019, he played weeks one through six. All at le- It's very limited right tackle experience. So if, if, if Jed comes back and he's playing left tackle, which I think he should too, I think you – are just going to have to roll with Hudson, which is not great, but you're going to have to roll with Hudson and Christian is just your backup and he's your third guy. And um, probably Watson is in that group too for active game day scenarios. So yeah. All right. That's who we're at at tackle. Wanted to clear that up. Next big piece of news. Um, boy, there's, there's kind of a lot on grand Delpit here. So we'll start with the fact that they did officially put pen to paper, some cool photo opportunities uh, involved in that. You know, it's cool to see Grant with like the draft helmet and all that stuff because, you know, the draft was huge. He was in that 2020 draft, right, where he was he didn't get to do the whole on stage moment and all that stuff. But uh, some cool photo ops for him. Three for 36, 24 guaranteed is what we've heard. We'll see what that officially looks like when the nitty gritty details comes out. Jack Duffin will write that up for us. But it's pretty clear they love him. Talk, talk to me real quick. Read to people what Andrew Barry said about him in the press release. Yeah, this this is one of those things that kind of pop the eyes out of my head. I I love that they're doing this because they they went hard on the press release for Grant Delpit. Uh, here's the quote from Andrew Barry. When we began the season, our defensive staff set the goal of leading the NFL in three categories, physical toughness, effort, and most importantly, badassery. 
Mm. <laughs> Total change of what they were before. I will give right. them. It's a it's a funny quote. I love that badassery, mm-hmm. and it's kind of kind of sounds goofy on the surface, but they really wanted to change the attitude of their secondary. Yeah, and having your GM say that, that. Yeah, they committed to it. They committed to it. He goes on to say, yeah, yeah, Grant's competitive, high-energy, on-field personality is the perfect embodiment of these characteristics. To see Grant blossom into a disruptive, heat-seeking missile in the run game while maintaining the ability to match up and man coverage has been particularly rewarding for our organization because of the adversity that defined his early career. That's pretty cool. A lot of... Very descriptive things. They love him. Like they, you're wondering, <laughs> you you might be looking at Pro Football Focus and saying this guy has given up this, that, and the other, and you can convince yourself he's not a good player. Sure, he's a good player. Mm-hmm. He, he does exactly the challenging sorts of things they want him to do, both near the line of scrimmage, in the run game as a linebacker, and as a safety in split field coverages, and every now and again playing post safety. He can do all of it. And he is defining their defense in the future in that position because Thornhill's a nice piece. Mm-hmm. We don't know. He's defining the safety role for them into the future. So I, yeah. I am, for one, happy to see his evolution meet their standard and happy to see him be a part of what they do in the future because they think they really view him as a very heavy part of the leadership situation yeah. too. So It almost all feels stuff. to me like – they signed Juan Thornhill to be that guy in their secondary. And then Jim Schwartz got in here and found out that Grant Delpit is actually that guy. And you can't have too many of them. So as, right. even if like right. Juan's more vocal, mm-hmm. he can drag that out of Grant. And I think it seems like that has happened. Right? I agree. I agree. It's so catalyzing. Yeah. I, I really like the mixture of what they brought in, but we have to talk about now what they're doing, they finished the game against the Jags with DeAnthony Bell out there playing meaningful snaps, Ronnie Hickman playing almost the entire game. It seems like Grant's groin injury is relatively serious here. So I believe Andrew Mary Kay Cabot has said that he is an IR candidate is what she has gathered. It's possible. He's, yeah, the the quote from her article today, he's a candidate for injured reserve. That's a bummer. That's, I mean, like a huge, huge bummer. If yes. he is going on IR and missing the rest of the regular season. That would be an outside shot to return for the playoffs, but locking him into the IR, I don't have words for it. He's a heart piece of that defense, man. It would really uh, be unfortunate. You can stomach the loss of Rodney McLeod and Juan Thornhill, who missed the game with the calf injury, because Grant can anchor one of those spots and be a part of the communication, be a part of the uh, back-end understanding, all of that. Absorbing both of those and the McLeod injury, that's a lot, man. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. I know that you 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 saw today Thornhill was uh, Stefanski mentioned was. No, we'll I mean, see how it goes this week, is what he yeah. said. So it sounds like he's got a chance to play Sunday, but they're not yeah. counting on it. Two two weeks is what the last one was, right? So right dealing with that. He also updated um, Duran Harmon, right? Who is the safety that they have signed. Uh, they signed in. He was with Chicago, ironically, this year, right? Maybe they're saving the old ace up the sleeve here. Yeah, yeah. He he got asked about Harmon. I think it was actually our Fred Greetham that asked about him. All right, Just kind of asked Fred asked yeah. how the progress he was making. Um, and yeah, he he said he's come along well. He's a veteran, knows what to do. Yeah, he's been in the league a long time. Was a third round pick of the Patriots back in 2013. So he's a, he's a veteran. He's really in that Rodney McLeod sort of mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, can play both safety positions, obviously, at this point in his career. But um, 
for the uh, Bears, he actually played a little bit more post. Uh, was 40 snaps and free to 21 in the box for uh, the Bears. In week eight, he started for them. Uh, he that's played- relatively recent. I mean, yep. that's not like yep. he started week four and he was let go. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, he played uh, two games for them, 69 snaps against the Chargers in Week 8, and then 15 snaps against the Saints in Week 9, and that was it. So, But he graded very well as, as a tackler. Hell yeah. Uh, Give me those eight, grades. Yeah, 80, uh, 82.6 for the season as a tackler. Uh, and then a 60.8 grade as a, as a coverage player. So, you know, nothing right. to sneeze at for a guy that's, that's available – I think probably what you would see, Jake, is you'd see him added to the roster and then some combination of him, Hickman, and Bell, depending on the situation, right? Uh, I, 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 I mean, I thought Hickman played pretty well considering what was being asked of him. And Hey, showing up in pregame and you're going to start, buddy. Get your, right, get your exactly. out there. Exactly. I think so, you made a great point before the show that he was a little slow, tentative early. I think that's that's pretty fair, and I think that would probably be – the presumption of how it would go for a post safety yeah. and a lot of man and, and cover three. But I thought by the end of the game that, that, that young man was very comfortable and I'll give he him was credit. A, he was a different player in the second half. I thought yeah. it was noticeable from the first half to the second half. And I think it could be as simple, Jake, as him going into the locker room and be like, all right, I can do this. I can do this. Now I'll start trusting myself. I'll start seeing it. And he, then in the second half, he was seeing it much more clearly and was anticipating. And, and he had that crucial breakup late where they, the the Jags on that fourth down were begging for a, a penalty, but it's him and Cam Mitchell that kind of got there at the same time, I believe. And I, I you know, I on on rewatching, I don't see it as an obvious pass interference. I think it was really well timed. Yeah, bang bang, and Mitchell got his hand in there and broke it up. Really, right. like right. I know that there was some complaint about Hickman kind of coming downhill, but it was it was pretty well timed. This was just a perfect example of what that that kind of cover one lurk stuff they're trying to do is. Like Anthony Walker cut the middle of the field drag from the shallow as the linebacker sits middle of the field, took that away right off the snap. And then the over route against Mitchell is so perfectly tandemed. Like yeah, that is how you him. draw that defense up and they executed it pretty damn flawlessly. And it's like, Oh, fifth round pick cam Mitchell, right? Oh, mm-hmm. UDFA, Ronnie Hickman. You got the Anthony bell out there and these guys are stepping up. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but, but that, those are like the cool moments when you're breaking down film, you're like, Oh, this isn't like Washington in the preseason. This is, Trevor Lawrence and the eight and four Jags in the right. heart of playoff chase time. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's the good stuff, man. That's the good stuff. So listen, hopefully Harmon can come on, be a part yeah. of figuring it out. Right. Go ahead. One more thing on him. Sorry. I, I wanted to also cover. He played a full season. He's actually played a full season of over a thousand snaps the last three years. He was with the lions in 20, the Falcons in 21. And then the Raiders last year, he played a thousand seventy five snaps and graded out at a 72.3 for the season. Yeah, so he was on the list of people that we were looking at this offseason for yeah, either that he's not wild type. Not at all. He he can hopefully step in and do a little bit of the trickier tasks that they're asking him to do. But you're 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 right about well, Fred's right about asking that question because this is when a moment in which they would need him. We think Denzel Ward is going to play this week. We'll see. I think most of us were pretty damn confident when I read that he was out in the in the inactives. I I literally like out loud like what like yeah. he's not playing yep. like. Yeah, that that got a big reaction out of me too. Yeah, but you made a, another good point before the show. Maybe they thought they could hold him out another week without Christian Kirk, and maybe there's the thought that they could get him back for DJ Moore, which is a bit you know of that same Christian Kirk sort of mold of receiver. I don't know. Um, 
I mean, you just want these guys to be healthy. You don't want to see, keep seeing Thornhill re-aggravate the calf. You don't want Denzel to re-aggravate the shoulder. So you want to see him healthy. But, I mean, we're at the point where you're getting so pressed for guys. It's it's like it's not like we're mad at Denzel Ward for not playing, but it's like, man, you start to try to figure out how they're going to win these games. And then you're like, oh, Dewan tweaked his knee. He's inactive. Oh, Denzel pregame. He's inactive. Oh, Juan Thornhill's inactive all of a sudden before the game. And it's like, yeah. Holy cow. Three guys in the last, I think, 12 hours Yeah, before game time. Because the the Dewan Jones news was on Saturday. So I guess 24 hours. That's true. Yeah. yeah but but a day. You know, and <laughs> a day where you're having a walkthrough and maybe a meal. Really sucks. Uh, the injury, maybe the injury luck will turn next year. I mean, some of the field goal luck has flipped for the Browns this year. Maybe the... Maybe the injury luck can turn next year. That'd be just super cool. Super great. Super awesome. That'd be great. All right. Anyway, talking about Harmon getting to the active roster. Boy, is this a question. We got to just say before we take a break, stop talking about the Browns need to sign Joe Flacco. It's it's your understanding of the practice squad is wrong. Okay. Stop doing it. Stop asking it. Like Kevin had to be like, I don't, yeah. I'm not even going to mention yeah. who asked the question. It's not for the show, but somebody asked today, mm-hmm. are you worried about another team signing him? He had to almost like a, like a, like a dad to a little kid, his little son who says, can I have another ice cream dad? Like he had to pat him on the head and be like, stop worrying about that. Like, like stop, just, just leave it alone. It's going to work out. Like, I think that's literally his quote. Like mm-hmm. stop, oh, asking. That's what he said. Yeah. stop asking. It's going to work out. They and in that plan. tone of voice. Yeah. <laughs> So just if, you know, none of you listen to this pod that asked those questions at the pressers, but maybe you could have someone tell you to stop asking those questions. And it's even like mainstream people that's are saying a, that's it. the thing, Jake, the, the wildest thing about this is this is not the fans. This is not driven by fans. This is respectable, quote unquote, respectable reporters whipping this up out of nothing. And I don't know if they're doing it because this is they're trying to make another LOL Browns thing. Yeah, where they're they trying are. to make these they guys are. seem unqualified to run a football team, but this happens all across the league all the time. Yep the 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 idea that Joe Flacco would come out of retirement, leave his couch, come back, suit up for the Browns, and then be like, "No, actually, I like the Viking situation better. I'm going to go there." Is- Someone said if the Jets offered him eight million, you think he would leave the Browns to be like, "Oh man, eight million." Really can't pass it's up laughable. on it. He's. Do you look how much money that dude has made in the NFL? It's just. You're right, dude. It is. It is another LOL Browns thing. It is another, and that's very well said on your end. And I think it's just a media look. And I don't because we're you know kind of are the media here. What we're trying to do, but like. No, we're not. We're the anti media. You know, anti media, like the anti, <laughs> the outsiders. Uh, funny, ironically enough. Um, we, what we're trying to say here is like it's it's um. It's almost like something newsworthy that they that just want you want to you want to try to press at this, and it's like that's not how it yes. goes, and they it's don't the, understand that. It's the equivalent of a gotcha question from the political arena, where yeah. people think that they've got them caught on some technicality, but the reality is that the team and the the agent and the player had this all worked out and agreed to before Flacco even got on a plane to Cleveland to work out. Yeah, because what they will say to him is, hey, Joe, so if we activate you for a start, which is pr- probably likely, 
we are going to take advantage of the rules that are in place. We're going to elevate you three times so we can keep an extra position up. And then that's done. We will sign you. Do you shake my hand on this agreement? Do you agree? Yes. Right. That's right. it. That's yeah. the end of the discussion or other teams would have signed him before this deal came into place. Folks, it's as simple as that. If you have thought otherwise, you deserve an imaginary Kevin Stefanski pat on the head yeah. and said, stop worrying about that. One last thing. Flacco said in his press conference, he didn't, he didn't get calls all off season and through the season. Nope. So, so not only is this made up from the perspective that Flacco would be interested in other teams, but all of these other teams that people are pretending to gin up interest in weren't interested in him. And I'm talking about the jets here, the oh, jets, yeah. the fact that they are not getting murdered in the media on a daily basis for ignoring their backup quarterback position, not just up to the Rogers injury, but through the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And now at the end of the season, we're saying, Oh, they should, they should, now they should go get Flacco. That is laughable, man. That it's absolutely laughable. I would guess Joe probably wouldn't have picked up the phone if they did call because he knows what's going on in that organization. You know who's pumped up for the week 17 matchup? Joe Flacco. Bro Flacco. That's who's pumped <laughs> up, Andrew. So stop worrying about Bro Flacco and the Browns. They're going to be just fine. We're going to take a break. Word from our sponsors. And then we're going to come back and do a little bit of what we learned from week 14. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. 
Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, so we have, I think, like five or six topics we want to hit on from the game, and uh, I just want to preface this segment by saying, I'm not going to do a comprehensive breakdown. I, I I could not put a more thorough breakdown of the tape and what happened and why it happened than I can on Chalk Talk. This is not going to be a usual thing. I will most of the time still do a comprehensive breakdown, but I talked for two hours on YouTube and it's all there. If you want to consume what happened, why it happened in the game plan stuff, it's there. Okay. I'll hit on some of the stuff right here, but it's on YouTube. I don't think you can find it anywhere else in the Cleveland market. No disrespect to anybody else out there, but uh, it's about as thorough as it gets for uh, the X and O's and decision-making behind that Browns win and what happened on both sides of the football, including Marquise Goodwin's backflip on the final kneel down. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, Andrew, the first one we have here in our pregame prep, Kevin's comfort with Joe. Um. <laughs> I'm not sure, you know, I mean, maybe, probably need to be careful. Kirk Cousins would have been a great pair with him. Yep. For, you know, we saw Kirk with him, obviously. But in Cleveland, would have been a good pair with Kevin leading an organization. But boy, does Joe check the boxes, man. The boxes of getting the football out on time, playing under center. I can three-step drop this guy from under center. I can do run action with him. I can do play action straight drops with him. I can five-step him under center. I can seven-step drop him. I can put him in the gun and run RPOs with him. He's comfortable <laughs> I laughed reading out loud that. at that RPO. <laughs> like, they they ran multiples. So, like, yeah. the first he's one, though, just, got me really good. He's just very rhythm, timing-based uh, quarterback who can also drive it and stand in a little bit and and, and withstand – some duress. This is not a shot at anyone else. Period. I'm just saying the comfort at which both men seem to be with each other and what the goal is for the snap by snap result. It's very clear they're very synced up here, Andrew. And I think that it is a reason, as we say, I want you to hit on why you're still kind of excited about there's room for growth here mm. as well, right? Yeah. First thing, I, and I think this is really more of a question for the off season, but I, I do, I do want to ask it now because I, it's, it's so clear after two games, right? The, the excitement is palpable from Kevin's perspective about having this quarterback. If that's the case, given that these quarterbacks are kind of pretty readily available, right? Joe Flacco, as I mentioned earlier, was sitting on the couch. I, it's so hard to believe that that based on that, it makes sense for Stefanski to be pounding the table for Deshaun Watson. Because think yeah. about the, th- and I'm not, I, like, I don't want to get way down the road on this. Here, here, Here's my only premise here. Think about the team that they could have, considering their cash spending, Jake, think about the team that they could have surrounded Joe Flacco with this season. It'd be, yeah. it's, a, it's basically a Pro Bowl roster with what you're hoping is like the 12th, 14th, 18th best quarterback in the league. You're totally right. I want to say I also don't have this is a this will be hit on so much in the off season. I know. Yeah. There is so little evidence to the pairing of those two being super desirable 
that if you tried to tell me otherwise, I think I, I laugh at you. I laugh at you. Not in a mean way, but I want you to show me how, like what, if you're telling me Kevin is comfortable adapting and in, in, in delivering an offense for Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Give me the points of how that is true for you. Because just saying, well, he runs a bunch of empty. He'll run empty for anybody. He's always done that. He's run empty for Baker Mayfield. So I want you to tell me from 2020 to this season, what's the big change? Tell yeah, me, because no I, one's going to be able to tell me. So that's that's it. We don't even have to go any deeper into that. Right. You're totally right. We have no evidence that says Kevin was hungry for this guy with an iPad and a group full of plays. So no, we have no evidence. So actions speak um, louder than words. I think bingo. it's the only the only way to sum bingo. it up. But but yeah. So my point about Flacco for the rest of this season, because because like you said in the first segment, we're just living game to game here. We are not thinking about 2024. We're not thinking about injuries. We're just thinking about beating the Bears, right? So. To that point, I thought there were a lot of plays, a fair number of plays, I guess I should say, half dozen or so, where Flacco was really sped up in his motion. His feet weren't set. He was rushing his throwing motion, and it resulted in an inaccurate pass. The most notable was that late uh, pass in the flat to David Bell that was, I think, a third down conversion, if I remember correctly. It's third and six, and he just had a speed out with paired with the smoke, and he just... I mean, the curl flat defender like jumps at him and it's just like, so it's, it's a pitch and catch. Free money. Throw. Yeah. Yeah. He did that. And he also did that too on the third and one with like 19 seconds left before half. Ironically, yes, it was the same design of the fourth and three touchdown play. Same player open this time it, before half. It was against zone coverage. Well, obviously it was against cover zero heat on that fourth and three, but Bell is open and he just kind of short arms it and leaves it just at his feet and he can't catch it. But yeah, there's a couple examples of, uh, of just, you know, what's going on around me. Just need to feel comfortable. Right. You know, I think you're right about that. And it's early, you know, yeah. it's still, still his second, third week in the offense. He's not feeling totally confident. The offensive line is in flux. He knows that better than anybody. So yeah, he's, he's feeling a little sped up. I think there's some expectation, some hope, I came into this game expecting a little bit of regression because I thought the Jaguars' defense was better than the Rams. I was pleasantly surprised with how poised, accurate, dialed into the game plan Joe Flacco was. Beyond that, for next week, is he can slow down and get adjusted to this offense, set his feet, let those throws rip with the proper motion. I think you could see him take another step forward in this offense. It, I, I think it's actually pretty promising for where this offense can be headed. We said through the the big fat middle of the season when it was a different quarterback every week, if they could just get to average quarterback play with this defense, they'd be all right. I think that might be where we're headed, Jake. I don't have much to argue with that. I think it's quite obvious to me, Andrew, that there are levels to which Joe can be better. I think we also fear a 38-year-old regression at the same time in terms of like seeing it and processing it. But there were two very different games there, man. There were two very different types of defenses. The, the You had a bunch of zone coverage, like almost the entire game in quarters and cover three against the Rams with no blitzing, and he was pretty good. And then you had him against the Jags, who... I have to look it up in front of me specifically to see how many times they blitzed him. I have early in the process of studying and I had it at like 15 uh, dropbacks against a blitz, uh, a documented blitz. So there was a complete difference in the way 
that game plan shaped up. And I thought he was good in both games. He navigated the pressure pretty well, as good as you could hope for, right? From a 20, a 38 year old quarterback in his second game uh, out of nowhere here. So I just kind of want to make sure I have the uh, blitz numbers correct in front of me. Yeah. They blitzed him 15 dropbacks. He was 10 of Andrew 15 dropback blitzes, 10 of 14, 199 and three touchdowns. It's pretty good. Big pile of money. It's a big pile of money right there, folks. So I think that there's a ton of indicators that he's been off to a great start, but there's room clearly like we're saying here for him to get better. The Jags played a little bit more man. They had eight snaps of man in this game. Ironically, the Browns on the flip side of that, which we'll talk about a little later, only 20 plays of man from the Browns, their lowest number of the season. They actually um, only 27%. So they, they went zone heavy uh, trying to switch up some indicators, which we talked about. So um, I feel like, the difference in aggressiveness from the defenses is good to see. We'll see if a team plays a lot of man. That's the only thing we're missing is a team playing some aggressive man defense against them. Uh, we'll see if the bears want to do that. I have studied absolutely nothing on the Chicago bears. I've ignored them for most of the season. So uh, we'll see how the study and prep goes for that. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I don't know, but, but I like that Joe has seen two different types of defenses from an aggression standpoint and where they're most talented and his, performed well and i think that, that there should be optimism to your point andrew that there are spots in which he can settle in a bit more feel more comfortable in the protection around him and, and still deliver some of those big moment throws yeah i i know that the bears defense is playing really well of late and yes, they yeah. just they just really messed up the lions in a home game I do I do still remember when Matt Eberflus was the uh, hot name as the defensive coordinator for the Colts and Kevin Stefanski beat him pretty soundly in that mm-hmm. home game back in 2020. Beyond that, I also know that there's some questions at linebacker for the Bears and uh, the Browns just just got done abusing a pair of linebackers for the Jaguars. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not certainly not confident the Bears are playing really well, but I do think I I think that you can trust when the quarterback is smart enough and or I shouldn't say smart enough I should say experienced enough to mm-hmm. understand the stuff that the head coach is trying to get to Stefanski will give you a few of those schemed up plays every game that will hit that's just it's in his bag usually yep. He's got to find so, got to find the hit and he's finding them Right, he he has been on a on a hot streak recently of finding those. So I, I I do feel like that will continue, and then it comes down to the same stuff we say every week about turnovers and stuff. But I I feel pretty confident in general about where this offense is right now in the passing game. Who where are they playing this game at this weekend? In Cleveland. Okay, then I'm pretty confident. <laughs> Seems to be as simple as that for this team this year. All right, yeah, before, chalk it up. Before we get off the uh, before we get off the offense. I mean, I think we're in agreement on this and and hopefully that doesn't sicken everybody out there out because we don't agree on everything. I swear the, the run game design was poor. Like the Browns were doing a significant amount of lateral runs, pin pulls, power counter lead counter with a tight end wide attacking C gap attacking plays for the most part. And the Jags defense is built to, you know, they defend that well. I was really surprised how often they tried to run laterally and they ran into poor numbers, 
right? Like I w- I'm looking at a couple under center reps where there's there's a five and a half count to one side and a three count to another. And a half player is usually like a safety who's kind of on the fringe of the box for me. Usually count half players as a zero nose or a fringe DB. Like there's some weak side, their, their best wide zone runs were weak side wide zone runs. And they kept trying to run wide zone to the strength. And then they were running pin pull and they continually were getting their butt kicked by redirecting defensive linemen who just would not allow themselves to be beat down the line. They were going to get down blocked. They were going to cross the face, which is completely different when we talk about the Browns defending lateral run game in just a minute, but they could not down block and move Jags players off the point of attack. So they were getting what's called boxed up. It's all in the chalk talk. If you want to go watch it, the front side sets the wall, the backside closes the wall off and you have nowhere to run. So like go watch Jerome Ford, Kareem hunt carries and tell me where they're supposed to run. Tell me I'm, I'm waiting because there's nowhere for them to go quite often in this game. So I don't like it. There's a bigger question to be asked, Andrew, about who's in charge of that. Who's who's designing this run game week to week. Who's making you? Know, you have to consider that Stefanski is stamping the final approval here. But there are some voices that you and I were talking pregame uh, before the pod here about, like Stump Mitchell is labeled the run game coordinator. How big is his voice? Is he deciding? Is he taking? Here's what I like from everybody and then formulating a plan for Kevin and handing it to him. How big is Alex Van Pelt's voice? Usually, anytime I've been around offense, the O-line coach has a say in two very particular things. How we're going to protect five, six, seven-man pressures. How we're going to protect against sim pressures, where we don't know where the hot's going to be. And then they're helping in designing run game. They're a big voice in that. And they have Bill Callahan, who's as big a voice in offensive line play as there is. So... I need to know between an experienced running back coach in Stump Mitchell, an experienced as hell offensive line coach in Callahan, and Kevin, who's in the Kubiak tree, who's been around run game design for a long time, what they're thinking. They have no downhill run attack between the A, the, the tightened up B gaps, B to B. They have no shotgun run game downhill. None. The Jags knew it. Andrew, there's a specific play in Chalk Talk where the running back is set left, okay? They have Njoku in a two-point stance, just detached from the line of scrimmage, just to the outside of the left tackle, a little bit. When the running back is lined up to the quarterback's left side, the left side defensive end from the quarterback's perspective is Josh Allen, hell of a football player, right? You're asking David Njoku to hook him and turn him inside so that you can run pin pull out around the outside, right? Tough task. If he's inside of you, you can do it. You can get a good angle. You can fight him. They do it to Miles Garrett all the time, right? Do it all the time. What the Browns do is they take the running back forward and they put him on the other side of the quarterback last second. Josh Allen knows what's coming. All he does is take one giant step and now he's outside of of David Njoku. Yet they still try to run lateral run game where they're having David turn him in. Not David scoop him, turn him out, and run up inside of it. Not same side power where you have the running back on the right side and you have the left guard pull around up and through for the right side middle linebacker and you have him, the running back kind of stay on the right side. They ran right into it. I'm just very confused at how the defense has a better feel for what run game the Browns are throwing out there 
than the Browns do for what their guys are best at or what the defense doesn't handle well. I'm just, it's a let, it was a letdown in this game. I, and I like saw some people like how in the hell are the Browns running backs grayed out well, because they did what they could. <laughs> the run game design was poor. You have a tackle who I don't think is very good in Jerron Christian, trying to anchor some of those things too. James Hudson's inconsistent at best. It's a bad recipe right now. Until they can get in the gun and run downhill into people's grill, inside zone, tight zone, traps, stuff of that nature, Andrew. I know they're labeled as one of the most diverse run teams, but diverse doesn't mean good. It doesn't mean good. And they're struggling in this de- in this department right now, brother. You know what's interesting, Jake, is I was just looking at SIS. I don't do enough of this. I should do more of this. I was playing around with the the filter on the Jags run defense for inside runs and outside runs. For the season, they're at 4.4 yards per attempt off tackle or outside, 2.4 on inside or up the middle runs. So you, you laid that out so well, and I was sitting here thinking about it from the Browns' perspective. What did they see? And I haven't watched the, a lot of the Jaguars. So I started thinking, well, maybe on film, the Jaguars are bad against outside run, and they thought that there was some vulnerability. That seems to be what the stats suggest. So maybe the Browns thought that they had something there and they didn't. If that's the case, I'll say this, they didn't adjust. It's the threat of also being able to run in the interior that they lack. I agree. Teams can prep for that. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you and I'm, I'm sure these guys aren't, not they're not dumb like no i know very important position so i'm not trying to discredit them and make myself sound like some genius here but if you watch the film and i know you did too andrew yeah they clearly knew what they were doing like they knew they had a great Mm -hmm. feel for where the browns are trying to run it man yeah and i i like i don't think me bringing that up invalidates anything you said i think it's just interesting that they tried i think they they clearly made a concerted effort to run outside. I think we agree on that because they barely ran any at your runs all game long. And the, and the Jags have the second best defensive rush success percentage. This year. Right. They're good. So there's also they're, that. They're clearly good. You know, I mean, that, that matters. They, they'll be able to stop you. Now, from a rush EPA perspective, it's not quite as high. They're actually 19th, but that means they've given up some chunk runs in there instead of just, but down to down, they've been, a relatively successful run defense. So, you know, yards before contact per rush, they're 21st, but what they do really well is yards, you know, post-contact. They bring you down. Where they meet you, they bring you down second best in the NFL right there with the, with the New England Patriots. So, again, they've given up four yards per rush. It's not great, but they're the 11th best. So it's the point is, this maybe isn't the NFL's best run defense, but it's pretty damn good. And they played really well because I thought they had a great feel for what the Browns were doing. Now, they sold out to stop the run, and it bit them multiple times in play action. So your run agenda, folks, you know, you might be reeling a little bit from that, but the Browns used that against them to the tune of 300 Joe Flacco passing yards, including multiple play action hits for huge plays. Two David Njoku 30-plus yard touchdowns on play action throws, right? So those matter. If team's going to sell out and stop the run, that's fine. Can you use that against them? And I thought they did that, Andrew. But there's big run game questions I still have. I just like, I understand why people want to label them diverse from the from the analytics site perspective. I get it. But I just don't, I don't like the application of the run game and just the general theory behind it. But I've gone through this. 
uh, several different times. And I, I can't, I can't keep saying the same thing. So maybe we'll just move on. Let's switch to defense. So uh, things that stood out to me, Andrew, time to throw fast, really fast. 2.44 again, second straight week of 2.44. First week 13, the Rams had the quickest time to throw in the NFL. So they were, they were getting the thing out quick. And then this week's 2.4 from the Jags were second to um, uh, they were second to the lions, ironically. So the lions against the bears defense, trying to get the football out really quick. So that's certainly noteworthy to me. And you might wonder, and it kind of sucks, Andrew, that we kind of, we should probably update the miles discussion. It's teetering. He's got to be really good in the last four games. He's got to have a big comeback, but these, these three games, they have had really good plans in place to alleviate the pass rush. But when you're alleviating the pass rush, you're still not necessarily being successful. I think that's always something to know. Just because the ball comes out fast doesn't always mean quality. And that's, you know, the Rams were able to do that at a really high rate. And the Rams, if you look at, again, Broncos still playing good football, winning ball games. Rams go into Baltimore and almost win, almost won right there in front of them. And they put up 31 points on the Ravens defense. They're playing good ball. So I thought the Browns did a much better job of, even though the ball came out fast, they influenced and impacted him with rush and the coverage paired pretty well with it. Would you agree with that take? Definitely. I also think that they, even when they didn't get home for a sack, which they did a few times, they left their impression on him overall. I think it also has to be mentioned that it was very clear that this officiating crew was not going to call offensive holding, even if they had been asked specifically to do it by God himself. There would, there just was not something that they were willing to do. And that, by the way, went both ways. So they were, they were very lax with pass interference calls. We saw that throughout the game. They were also very, very lax with holding calls. And Miles Garrett spoke about it after the game. He's going to get fined. He was very direct about how poor he thought the officiating was. It was Ezra Cleveland, who is a guard by nature, and then it was Blake Hance, who we know. And those guys didn't give up a sack to Miles Garrett. How do you think that happened? They they were doing everything in their power, be way well beyond legal means to keep Miles Garrett from getting home. And when that happens, this is the result. He still got a ton of pressure despite being held on nearly every play. So You know, part of this is, I think we'll talk about it in a little bit, this officiating crew has kind of a reputation around the league, and that definitely played a role in in Miles not being able to get home. I think he had two or three opportunities where if he wasn't being dragged to the ground by a 300-plus pound person, he would have gotten a sack. Or the ball didn't come out lightning fast. Also that. Also There's those two things are the big, and he still had seven pressures. You know, he was extremely impactful. And if a, team, in the fourth quarter. if a team commits an extra body to you as a pass rusher consistently, that is changing a game plan. That's impacting the success of the opposing offense. I just need to reiterate it. I want him to get a ton of sacks. I want him to be the defensive player of the year, but you can't sit here and say he didn't impact the game just because there isn't a sack in that column. Like that's just, I feel like we've been saying this for far too long, but yeah, he deserves the award. He deserves the award and, and his struggles down the stretch here in terms of putting up sacks do not change my impression of how important he is to this defense. And the fact that he is the most talented defensive player in the league. 
Yeah. Whether or not the voters agree with that, I don't know, but that's the, those, those are the facts. Okay. A couple things we need to hit on before we get out, I guess, since we already talked about miles and the flags and that nonsense is the NFL and we'll close with the other two things in a second. Is the NFL too reliant on officiating? Have they micromanaged the game? It's like this in the NBA where you've almost micromanaged the game so much that it makes it reliant. Like nobody likes when officials make calls. Like the Chiefs game is a great example, right? That official doesn't throw the flag knowing that there's going to be one of the most historic plays to happen three seconds later. He throws it because, I don't know. I mean, Darius Tony is. You know, I had moved in next door to Von Miller. My, my, my general thing is like, I guess what I'm getting like, is the game too, I felt like, and maybe this has been because of concussions have become a bigger thing and the taunting and like all of these elements that maybe weren't in the game 20 years ago where they weren't throwing as many flags or these game changing type decisions. I just think that like the quicker, let me put it this way. Cause my, my dad called before we were on the show. And he's like, you know, he'd actually talked about this flag that wasn't thrown in the Giants Packers game where the quarterback just gets bulldozed while he's sliding in the worst way you can get hit. And there was no flag thrown. And he's like, this is I just it's rigged. And I don't think you can say it's rigged because the ability like the mass connection of people to rig something like this is so far to bend your mind. But like. I just think that all of these like bang bang plays, Andrew, determine games. And I think that the sooner you accept that the officiating is just a part of the drama, and sometimes it's going to go your way and sometimes it's not, the more you can enjoy football. Because I don't see a path to fixing this. With the amount of head injuries, you're probably going to be talking about the stupid hip drop tackle being a, a, a thing that they ban in the next year or two. And I think it's the, the goofiest thing. Like, I just think that the game has evolved to the place we're trying to make it safer in a lot of ways. Now, some rules don't involve safety, but like trying to make it safer in a lot of ways. And it's just like, it's just very micromanaged and it's hard. It's harder than ever for officials to get it all right. Not that I'm saying they're good or, or excuse it, but like it's, it just feels harder than ever for them to get it all right. And when they even do get it right, such as calling Kadarius Tony offside, they're getting belittled for doing the right thing, right? Like, I don't know. I officiating is uh, I don't really, I don't even know what I'm saying, dude. But I just the the conversation is tricky. It's very, it's loaded. And maybe yeah. you have a better response to what I'm saying than what I'm actually saying. But I just feel like, you know, they're the guys are trying to draw flags all the time for holding or penalty, like you know, defensive pass interference. And it's like the game is just. May, it's it's just formulated into this heavily the officials are a part of the game in a way they never used to be that's that's kind of it right that's it so i'll just say that the officials are a bigger part of the game than they used to be and that's why you feel like they're a huge thing here yeah that that is one big part of it the other half of it is that every game has two dozen high definition cameras pointed at every player on the field so the officiating comes under a microscope more because it is very clear to everybody sitting at home, often more clear to us than it is to the official, what actually happened on the play. So the second guessing begins the moment the play is over. I'm sure every Browns fan listening to this has had the same experience that I have had where a penalty gets called on a Browns player 
and then you wait to see the replay to judge for yourself whether or not the thing that they called conforms with your idea of how penalties should be officiated. Yep. And sometimes you don't get those replays because the, you know, the next play happens and there you go. My solution, and I'm sure when you brought this up, you didn't think that I had it all solved, but I do. My you, solution. You, you typically do. <laughs> I, I, I watch, I, I lived in the, in, in the UK for a few years. I watched a lot of rugby when I was there. Rugby is a sport. What, what years were this? 2011 to 2013. Wow, didn't know that about you. Learn something new about Andrew every day, guys. <laughs> Rugby is played with 15 men on each side on a field much larger than a football field. And they don't wear helmets. And you are not allowed by law in rugby to tackle above the shoulders. You cannot tackle anybody by the head or neck. It's not allowed. You can't make forcible contact to the head or neck of any type ever. The way that rugby is officiated, there is, an, there is a referee on the field and there are two guys on the sidelines, but there's also a sky judge that w- is watching along and the communication between the referee on the field and the sky judge is instantaneous by a microphone and it is audible on the broadcast. Wow. So you, you listen to the referee after a play ends where he has a question, he asks the sky judge. The sky judge can also call the referee and say, hey, referee, you missed a very obvious dangerous tackle on six. And then he puts the replay on the big board in the stadium. Everybody watches it together. He makes a recommendation and the referee either agrees with him or doesn't. Typically he does. And it's all adjudicated in about 15 to 20 seconds. This technology exists. Everybody sees it. Everybody sees it. And everybody hears the rationale. It is all completely transparent. Oh, boy. I I mean, maybe some of you uh, out there listening overseas or some of you in the U.S. who are huge rugby fans uh, are familiar with this. This is news to me. Um, boy, would that make it better for the, for the uh, conspiracy theory folks, right? And I don't want... Well, also, are you suggesting we turn football into no helmets? No, but oh. I, do th- I, I do believe that you can referee safety into the game because they're doing it in rugby and those guys are as big as strong yeah, and they are not yeah. wearing pads or helmets. But I'll, I'll say one more thing about this. I do not want a guy with a TV screen calling every penalty on every play because that's what the, the naysayers will say. You can find a penalty on every play. All I want is egregious calls that are either made incorrectly or missed to be flagged for review. I don't want every ticky-tack, you know, he was a half inch too far forward. He was a millisecond early. But if you miss an egregious holding call on third and 11, if you miss a clear pass interference uh, either direction, those sorts of things. If you call somebody for a a holding penalty or a, a pass interference penalty and it's not correct, I want that revoked. Same with a personal foul, those sorts of things. There was that, that one on Mahomes the, a few games ago that went in the uh, the Chiefs' favor, which is why it's ridiculous that they're complaining about the officiating. Yeah, there There's a clear and obvious solution to this. And the the my belief, it's not I, – I think your dad is about 50% right. It's not that it's rigged, but it's that the NFL doesn't care to fix it because controversy is good for the sport. 
the what happened with the Chiefs is driving engagement with the NFL. And whether that engagement is beneficial or not, it gives everybody something to talk about. And as long as people are talking about the NFL, the people at the NFL are happy. So I think their incentive to fix the refereeing is hindered by the fact that ultimately, as you said, controversial calls are part of the pageantry of the sport. Yep. Okay. I I think that is between my start of this, which is that they're too involved, and your transparency request, we're at the root of this. Yeah, we fixed it. We fixed it, kind of. And uh, we would like players to have no face masks. Let's go back <laughs> and correct that uh, as well. All right, two things before we get out the door. Um, lateral run game, Andrew. I don't have these specific numbers on pin pull runs from the Jags, but I'm sure you watched the tape the way I did, and it is a real problem for for the Browns run defense. The Rams hit them with it at a really high level, uh, hurt them time and time again. They they did a little under center flip out the backside, but it was pin pull by nature, right? The Browns were dealing more with like shotgun toss and some of the wildcat stuff uh, from, from the Jags. But yeah, man, this is this is where they got this is where they got their yards. And it was, it was really tough. It's been really tough recently to see teams running laterally on the Browns as well as they have. So to me, man, it's a byproduct of a a problem that they have with aggressive front four players. The Jags did a great job because their front four redirects side to side extremely well. The Browns front four are upfield players. This is, it's is the Jim Schwartz, nature they're upfield guys get after the quarterback create havoc and then the linebackers fix it right we've been talking about this all year but if your front four are upfield they no longer matter to the pursuit down the line of pin pull run stuff and when that happens that leaves your linebackers against a bunch of linemen and it leaves your safeties collecting whatever scraps they can find so i'm concerned about it the one time they got it right was when Miles quickly defeated, recognized a, a crack block, defeated it outside, and the interior guys redirected fast. If they can't do this, I'm telling you guys in the future, the next few games, the Bears will do it next week. They're going to, on, on pass downs, have teams just run it because they can't defend it mm-hmm. well enough. So I don't know how they coach their guys out of that, but hey, Jim, it's been three to four straight weeks of teams doing this to you. And I know you have your guys' DNA hardwired to do it one way, but boy, they need to be doing some some redirection, feel it out redirection stuff against pinpole run game because I'm sure you saw it like I did, Andrew. They are they are getting crippled by that. It's not teams running downhill at them. It's not. No. It is largely pinpole outside zone run stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there's also, a, to my eye, a little bit of an issue with the secondary defenders coming up in support, choosing the right gaps. Sometimes their aggressiveness as well. I saw uh, Grant Delpit and Jeremiah Usukoromoa, I think at, at times it looked like they were trying to get in behind, jump a gap, and 
and and play for the bigger play rather than stretching it out. So yeah, I think overall the aggressiveness of the defense is being used against them there, and it's it's frustrating to watch live and uh, in review. I can say that much for sure. So Travis Etienne ran four times for twenty five yards on that run concept, um, just in this game alone, and that was with one of them being a six yard loss. So take that for what it's worth. And we talked earlier about the Browns lateral run game, pin pull or pitch concepts. You had uh, the Browns run seven times for 26 yards. Sorry, 36 yards. Pretty good. Feel good about that, right? 5.1 to carry. They had one run for 26 yards. So if you take that out, Kareem goes three for four. Jerome Ford goes three for t- three for one. Yeah. yeah. And Dwayne Multiple Thomas Robinson. For both players. Yeah. yeah. So like, that's an example of where the Browns specifically really struggling. So just wanted to illuminate that, that they're giving up these gash plays and outside zone uh, pitch concepts in their lateral zone stuff is, uh, is really not working. If you want to get even weirder, look at outside zone. They ran 11 for 44 for four yards. If you include that, all of those outside run concepts for the Browns, 11 for 44, four yards of carry, you take out the 26 and just make it a two or three yard gain. You're talking about like, just a shade under two yards per carry. So that's why they're throwing it around the yard. If you can't, you can't put a to B together to make that one uh, understandable. And then as we close, I think it's important to give guys shout outs, roster depth players for stepping in, fighting their butt off. We have pretty much shouted out Hickman, DeAnthony bell. We gave a, a proper shout out to, for coming in cam Mitchell off IR stepping in, doing the job. Thought Newsom was better as an outside corner. He deserves credit for this one, Andrew. Um, but a guy we haven't said anything about is Nick Harris. Ethan Postage left after like eight snaps early. Nick Harris is like, Hey man, I'm a fullback. I'm not playing center steps on the field, <laughs> plays center the entire game. And again, I'm going to be pretty honest. I thought he played pretty well. I thought he played pretty well, man. He had, um, as far as snaps go, it's 69 snaps at center. Nice. And didn't give up a pressure what more can you ask for a guy stepping in and doing whatever they're asking him to do? And that is really the, the thing you want to know, how are the Browns eight and five? The question we get asked a lot, Andrew, some of it doesn't make sense. (laughs) A lot of it at times doesn't make sense, but these guys at the bottom of the roster backups, third, and even at times fourth string players are stepping up to the challenge and meeting it head on. Because I'm sure you like me, Andrew, at the end of that game, there was a Mike Ford touchdown on a slot fade. I didn't notice many other defensive backs playing bad football, and they were playing a lot of bodies back there, right? And, you know, again, Jerron, not great. James Hudson, not great. But it's not like every play those guys are sticking out for causing headaches. So I just want to reiterate for the situation at hand, which is the Browns are beat up among the most think they're the most beat up team in the nfl they're stepping up the guys at the bottom of the roster i think we talk about this all the time with no excuses everybody has injuries they got to step up and figure it out other organizations do they're stepping up and figuring it out their guys are answering the call and they you know to be eight and five deserve a gigantic pat on the back for hitting on some of these guys to be able to step in and play a role and and uh, the guys doing it obviously deserve credit too man yeah, it's one of the differences between the last two weeks and this week. I think we were bemoaning some of the same players not making plays in crucial situations the last two weeks. They did this week. It 
it makes all the difference. You need more than just one or two players to win an NFL game. Uh, you mentioned a lot of their names already. I, I think Alex Wright deserves a shout out. He's he's on to something, uh, both as a base rush, uh, run defense edge, and then also shifting inside as a pass rush defensive tackle in situations, especially, you know, Jordan Elliott left this game with a head injury. And so Wright, I think, was was used a little bit more on the interior. Yeah, 10 uh, snaps in there. Yeah, obviously David Bell has the highlight on the busted coverage touchdown but was in the right place a lot of yep. other times. I mentioned earlier, Flacco missed him two times for conversions. Yep. He is he's finding a role. Donovan Peoples Jones being moved off this roster has opened up a role for Cedric Tillman and David Bell, weirdly. Yep. And I think both of those guys have have definitely taken some tentative steps forward. So I'm very excited. As I said at the beginning, to kind of go full circle with this. The opportunity that's in front of them is massive. It's It really is more than just grind out one or two more wins and try and back your way into the playoff. There's no reason they can't finish the season strong. I know that the injuries keep derailing things that they want to accomplish, but there's no reason that they can't continue to win these football games. None of, you know, none of the games that they play the rest of the way are unwinnable. And I think the sky is really the limit. I think they can, I, it sounds crazy, but I think they can win a playoff game in considering where the AFC is at overall, considering where this defense is at. I know that they have struggled more on the road, but in a one game, if they, for example, if they, the playoffs started today, they would have a matchup with Jacksonville again in Jacksonville. I like their chances in that game. I like their chances to go to Baltimore. Honestly, I know that sounds crazy. The Ravens are the best probably the best team in the AFC, but think about it, Jake. You mentioned the 49ers earlier. The Browns have beat what I think you would say right now are the best teams in both conferences. And I know that their quarterback situation was somewhat different then, but I I, I just think as much as it's about what they have done to get to this point, it's it's about them embracing what they can do from here on out. I'm I'm with you. I I think I kind of on the post-game show mentioned that, you know, the Super Bowl is not a realistic thing, and I I just don't think we should be thinking that way. But I do think putting any other cap on what they could do as far as like being a dead on a rival playoff team isn't fair to them. They're not viewing it that way. They continue to step up and rise above the doubt, right? So who are we to say they can't do that? Who am I to say they can't, you know, win a, win, win a playoff game or two hell, you know, like uh, you, you look at the Ravens game and like, you know, Deshaun was kind of rough the first half, but just did a bunch of simple things in the second half. And it's like, you're telling me Flacco can't do some of those things? Like, uh, I, I just think they're, uh, if they can get healthy, Andrew, find some health by the end of the year at a couple places. Secondary, right? Maybe get Jed back to solidify one of the tackle spots a little bit. There's a chance, man. There's a chance. So, yeah, Super Bowl feels crazy to think about. A real run in the playoffs feels crazy to think about. But it's a weird NFL season. It's a really weird NFL season and, and anything, anything can happen. And um, if there's a team and a fan base who's endured a lot of shit from those who talk about the NFL or care about the NFL or look down on that, that organization, there's one organization that could really use it. And we're talking about it right now. So, uh, I, I, you know, have your hopes and dreams set on that because it could happen. It could really happen. So that's, that's our messaging for today. That's all we have. I know typically your comprehensive breakdown will be after this, but I, I'm just telling you, if you want to know 
any more of the nitty gritty details that we didn't discuss here, check out the, um, uh, check out the chalk talk on YouTube. I will put a link to that in the description of this podcast. So as I always say, Andrew and I appreciate you making the OBR film breakdown a part of your day, whatever day you find it, whenever you find it, we appreciate that very much. A rate and review of the podcast also greatly appreciated. It's like liking a or subscribing to a YouTube channel or whatever. It helps other people find us, especially Browns fans looking for a podcast to find for their daily grind. So that's greatly appreciated. And always check out the OBR website where you can find the best Browns community online. So uh, we thank you for being here, spending time with us. We'll be back. For a mailbag edition tomorrow, get your questions in on Twitter or whatever fashion you would like to send those over. More than happy to answer those questions tomorrow. And then we'll get with Jordan Zerm on Thursday for a broader NFL discussion, as we always do. Until then, we appreciate you one more time. And go Browns.